0: Hello, I'm David Colfart, and welcome to Formula for Success. <laughs> here we go, n three. Don't fucking laugh at me, EJ. No, I still can't say it either, so... I've... Here we go, here we go, in three. Hello, I'm David Colfart, and welcome to Formula for Success, in association with F1 Manager 2023. With me, as always, is someone whose Wikipedia page says... That he almost became a priest or a dentist. Well, their loss is uh, podcasting's gain.
1: It's Eddie Jordan. I'll never forgive Wikipedia. It's a shocking thing. Um, it, it digs up all. A Wikipedia? <laughs> it digs up all of the, the nastiness of your youth and your past. Anyway, it is true.
0: It's not it's well, Wikipedia, it's Wikipedia. You Wikipedia. Know yeah. They're all
1: newfangled words. You didn't have that when I was going to school.
0: No, we didn't. But anyway, uh, a dentist. I can see you as a priest. I can see you there saying, just put your money in the till there, put it in the old prayer bag, and you'd be divvying up, you know, two for me, one for the church, two for me. But a dentist, what would you be doing in people's mouths? Before you go
1: on to the dentist, first of all, I went to uh, an Irish school. We learned everything through Irish. It was... um uh, the culture was, that, and, and you went to these retreats, and you came back from a retreat, and I, I wouldn't say it was browbeaten into you, but they were made feel that there was a calling from God that you should be a priest, either to go on the, the missions in Africa, the missions here, or whatever it is, or even be a secular priest in, in Ireland. So I, I think almost every young boy who's gone to those kind of schools, they felt that there was some form of a calling from God to follow his will and to go in that role. Uh, I mean when you're 16 uh, you soon forget about it by the way and uh, as soon as it goes into your head and you're thinking about it it lasts a couple of weeks you tell your parents because they'd be so happy to hear about it but then you you want you're going to the disco the following weekend and any any sign of remembering about the priest as soon as you goes out the door as soon as you've left out the door. Yeah, well, my calling. So the calling- dentist is uh, simple. My grandfather was a dentist, and, and and it came down very often, and I'm sure it's the same in Scotland. You kind of follow a profession, and um, so dentistry even though my dad wasn't he was an accountant but you know you followed a pattern Uh, my two uncles ran the dental hospital and dental college in 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 Trinity College and so they were very well-known dentists and so it was seen that I should uh, when I finished university when I finished school I should go and do dentistry anyway uh, didn't last very long Uh, I realized that I wanted to be in motor racing and I wasn't going to be a a motor racing dentist Uh, as it happens Ziggy Brunn a very famous German driver was also a dentist, and he's the only one that I know that was a dentist and a driver.
0: Well, I think uh, when you talk about callings, my calling always had the noise of an internal combustion engine, so it definitely didn't involve the priesthood. But my my father studied taxidermy, so initially I was, as a teenager, very interested in stuffing things. Uh, David, I don't think I'm going to
1: respond to that kind of a, a, a question. I'll leave that to you to explain to our listeners exactly
0: what that means. Okay, well, they can uh, look it up in Wikipedia. Taxidermy. Anyway, EJ, uh, if you hadn't have ended up uh, team, team owner, team principal of Jordan Grand Prix, uh, you started uh, as a bank clerk, I believe. Do you think that would have been a longer term career for you? So imagine motor racing had been banned and it wasn't an option. Where, where do you think you could have ended up other than jail? Uh, well, that that's the biggest surprise to most people.
1: Um, I think. Look, the situation is that sometimes the roll of the dice it works for you. I remember hearing from you many years ago. You will say these are the cards that you're dealt um, and it applies to everything in life uh, and I, I shall never forget it because I think that was a very strong statement from you and that's exactly it. I've got to where I am here uh, and I'm uh, at this moment in time extremely healthy and enjoying life and being with the family and the kids and I think that's an unbelievable blessing and a lot of people for whatever reasons haven't had that opportunity so I am mindful of the, those benefits but where would I have wound up? Um, I doubt if I'd wound up a, uh, in a bank but actually funny you should say this about 10 years ago I was asked by Citibank which was the number ba- one bank in the world to join their board of the private bank EMEA uh, and I served on that board for five six years
0: uh, with an old pal of yours in Livingston uh, as you know. It's interesting for me to try and imagine the the serious EJ sitting on a board you know we've never we've never done business together we've never sat on a board together you mentioned Ian Livingston uh, along with his brother they, they have london regional properties one of you know one of the biggest uh, collection of uh, you know uh, assets buildings around the world hotels and you know fairly big motorsports fan by the way ian but you you just seem socially, you seem such a sort of live wire of let's go and get on the drumsticks or play the spoons. I can't imagine you suited and booted, sitting on a board with with the likes of Ian and and others and contributing in such a calm and positive way. Did you have to take some meds to Sort of calm you down. Didn't drink too much coffee in the morning. No, I, I think actually we should get Ian on the show here sometime
1: because what you've left out, Ian, when you were skint and you hadn't got a you hadn't got a, an ass in your trousers, uh, and you owned that uh, hotel in Monaco, the Columbus. I think he came to your rescue and he nicked it off you. Um, so uh, you sold <laughs> you
0: sold that property to him. Can I just uh, clarify? Nobody nicked anything. They, they transacted a in a very professional manner. You
1: were on your knees. You were on your knees. You were skint. Right,
0: right. We are going to, and I think it's fitting that we're talking about careers outside of motorsport because uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about the careers we've had since leaving Formula One. Uh, Before we actually do that though, um, we're going to throw it back to way before you were involved in F1 and I believe before you had the fame, the money, the adjuration and and probably even before I was born, you got a celebrity story for us from uh, the times when you were actually a racing driver.
1: David, yes. uh, At that time, I I had come with full of um, ideas and dreams of making it into Formula One and being a successful Formula One driver. Alas, that didn't happen. However, uh, 78, 79, there were some outrageous drivers, unbelievable drivers around. Um, But when I was doing Formula Three and my teammate was Stefan Johansson in the Mulberry team, I also was doing a little bit of work with uh, Porsche trying to do Le Mans and the Le Mans series. And later on, I think it was 81, um, very sadly, a, a driver called Herbie Muller was killed in, in, uh, in the Ring, which meant that I therefore didn't have, because I was the teammate of that car, I didn't have that car for me to drive in Le Mans. And look what happened for me, because oftentimes that's the case. I met up with a, a guy and uh, his name is Nick Mason. Most people will know who I'm talking about. And, and Nick was an extremely nice, well uh, laid back guy. And he said, Jordan, would you like to drive the car? And um, now we won't talk about the money involved in uh, at this moment in time, but... Um, uh, of course, I was delighted to drive the car. This was a BMW, which was the works car, which was entered by Emka, which Steve O'Rourke was the manager of Pink Floyd. And the reason why Nick couldn't drive the car it was the opening night in Earl's Court of. Brick in the Wall with Pink Floyd, because Nick Mason was a drummer in Pink Floyd. So we had a couple of interests together, me being uh, aspiring, looking at him playing the drums and seeing how unbelievable he was. Um, and, and then, of course, it was his, his association with cars and particularly with historic cars, because his daughter, Chloe, became a really first class driver, mainly in the, in the historic field. However... Um, I drove the car uh, with David Hobbs and the car uh, broke down mm, around about 21 hours into the race. I convinced Marie that we should rush back in the car, drive like crazy and and see if we could make the gig in the... in earl's court and we did and we were backstage for the for this inaugural evening which was unbelievable anyone who's ever seen that where the pig comes through the audience i mean it's just the most amazing but th- there were miles ahead of the game pink floyd had a very very clear idea about entertainment and what needed to be done uh for the sound and and, and the excitement of that the show goes on but james hunt and a guy who sadly is Died also recently, uh, Alain de Cardenay. Um, James and Alan had a bit of a rock uh, backstage and uh, became a little bit heated and, you know, a bit of pushing and a bit of shouting and stuff like that. So um, it, it was a fun evening and I remember for all different types of reasons.
0: Well, actually, he sent me a little message knowing that, uh, that you guys are, are big buddies and I thought I would have bumped into him recently at Goodwood. Uh, I saw his, his wife, Nettie, but he's off touring, isn't he, with his Saucer Full of Secrets. He has uh, his own band band. Band. again. And, yeah, and- fantastic group of uh, fame, famous uh, performers along with Absolutely. him. Absolutely. Yeah, but you know But do you do to you know the message you sent to me? Well, go on. Hi DC and DJ. I've absolutely no idea how Eddie managed to get a drive at Le Mans in that car. I do know he still owes money on it though. And after 30 years you'd think he might be prepared to put his hand in his pocket. Clearly not. I think he probably should stick to a career playing the spoons. He sounds great, and best of all, there are huge savings on not needing a spoon tech and transport costs. Now, I'll just go and check the silver cutlery after his last visit. Keep on playing. All the best, Nick. (laughs) He,
1: he He knows his onions. He was never slow in coming forward, was he, Nick? You know, and the other thing, there was skirmishes inside Floyd. If you like, Dave Gilmore and, uh, and Roger Waters, they they kind of mm, probably two of the most unbelievable brains in the music world. And if they'd only stayed together a bit longer. But then again, that's what happens. But the way I was brought up and the way the music, I mean, Pink Floyd, you know, there was a rock and roll era. There the Elvis Presley and the Beatles, but then the Floyd and Zeppelin. I mean, they... They made music for me that really no one else could make, and the fact that they're both British. Uh, rock stars and rock things and then if you add to that queen um, that was a different thing altogether Um, but I think we were so lucky growing up to be able to know some of these people be associated and be actually be friends with them and in your case with Nick as you know very well he's such a complete lunatic about motor racing Um, but in his family you said Nessie was there and Chloe is also there they're just crazy about cars
0: I want to move it on to life after Formula One. And, you know, from my side, I never imagined what it would be not to be a race driver until the moment I realized that it was my time. My time had moved on and I've never regretted uh, that decision. But I'm really curious for you in that you did your racing driver thing, then you did your team ownership and built that through the lower ranks into a winning Grand Prix team. But in terms of that, because you're still an entrepreneur, you're still very active in business, so when did you know it was the right time to let the team go and, and how hard was that decision? It was hard in one sense and, and Marie was
1: quite unbelievable. When I sold the team, of course there was a big concern, um, but she made sure uh, that we went somewhere. We went on a sailing boat to a, a man and um, so I could not make any contact whatsoever. It was the Australian Grand Prix, first Grand Prix of that year uh, and I thought I would feel it and, and in fact, it was only a passing feeling. It was something that was like what you've just said. It was a pass in my life, turned the page over, we're into a new chapter. And um, the fact is, it was on, not until Tuesday that it was my ex-driver, Giancarlo Fisichella, that won the race in, in Australia, and I was absolutely overjoyed. However, um, I, I'm not even sure I, I, I went back to look at it again, but I just as long as I knew who had won it. And that was the message that I got, that I was able to... Love it for a different reason as a spectator, as distinct from something that I was committed to. But then very soon after that, uh, you know, Niall Sloan at BBC and we became uh, linked into that F1 programme. And I think with Jake as well, that was a very special part of my life and I loved it. That was the five years. And then the number of years with Whisper was also in that time, I know you were offered the job that I actually got in the end, which was um, that you had too much going on with Top Gear. Uh, I must say that that Top Gear... So there were three people, of course. Um, Clarkson was crazy. Evans was crazy. But the really clever one, in fact, of being able to get a show over because he had done so many things with friends was Matt LeBlanc. Uh, and I'm not putting one ahead of each other, but they were all different characters and different people. But having to work with all of them in different ways, um, I, I did love that. That was a, a really top
0: end of, of what I was doing and enjoying. That was Magic Times. It's almost unbelievable, isn't it, that, that that once great show for the BBC, uh, Top Gear, is no longer. It, it sort of, you know, started to unravel and then sadly the incident with Freddie Flintoff um, led to it being being cancelled. Well,
1: I, I, I didn't know, is it now official that they've cancelled it totally or whatever?
0: Well, if you announce it, it'll be official. I may have inadvertently thought it's official. <laughs> I did have somebody from the show
1: uh, thinking that they're still looking at it because there's obviously big insurance problems and stuff like that in terms of how they're able... You know, Freddie Flintoff wasn't the first we we know James May had an incident and the things that they did and I recall some of the things that I did or had to do or wanted to do with them driving cars up a cliff uh, and having rollover bars and stuff and the car rolling back on top of you and stuff Um, it was very exciting for the viewer but there was some really hairy moments that were included in that so I think they have some issues with regard to security and safety and uh, also particularly uh, from an insurance point of view.
0: Yeah. Okay, well look, um, one thing that brought us together um, to in a working sense was was television. And I'm curious to know when you you mentioned Niall Sloan and the BBC, I, I knew when I was 14 that I would try and work in television beyond being a driver because I had that very conversation with my father watching uh, the great Murray Walker and James Hunt uh, Do their their commentary and presentation on Formula One, so it wasn't a surprise that three months after I stopped driving as a as a Formula One driver, I was then working for BBC. W- was it something that wasn't a surprise for you as well, or did sort of television presenting and punditry did that that come as a oh, okay here's an opportunity I'll give it a crack?
1: You know, coming from Ireland, I was doing bits and pieces for RTE, which is the state uh, body television, and uh, did a number of. Um, Ads, which turned out to be quite funny and somebody took the mickey out of me and and that sort of gained um if you like a bit of notoriety for me and so therefore the tv was something that was lurking in the background but never as uh, the bbc was a different thing as well you know and um i think the early days was uh, marty brundle was with us um and and then jake joined us martin went off to the other channel and um you know, we were. I I felt that what we did. I won't say it became it came natural. Um, because I was always doing other things. I remember Jake going crazy with me because I I didn't concentrate enough either on the questions or or, or when I'd be told to stand in that position. Um, Jake was such a professional guy. He was top class and he he steered us through that. So I I think we learned from the best. I I say that to you too, David. We were lucky we had some very good people along the way to make sure that we were kept in check and we also uh, kind of kept to the script
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to say, um, interesting that you you say that they pointed out that you, or you've just stated that you struggled sometimes to concentrate. Um, How long have you had these concentration issues other than your entire life? Life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nothing changes. DC, I'm, Compelled to ask you because you've kind of asked me indirectly the same question. Um, So life after driving, you've said that you're able to cope with it quite easily. But tell me, there must have been some issues and times in in Formula One as a commentator in the paddock. What is the thing that sticks out most to you? What was the most exciting thing? What was the most rewarding thing? How did you
0: feel about it? Well, what's been really interesting for me in the journey uh, with television is that what it does is tap into the inner fan, uh, because I was lucky enough, as you know, to be a driver. You were uh, hardworking enough to be a, a team owner, but in the end, it's our passion for the sport that has seen us put in the hard yards. And it would be very easy, and, and many do, go off into the sunset and never look over the shoulder. But I didn't fall out of love with motor racing. I just realised that my time behind the wheel had come to its natural conclusion. So I really enjoy being around and, and, and watching and uh, reporting on the successes and the trials and tribulations of the current generation. And it actually isn't just down to being at a Grand Prix track away from television. I'm perfectly happy standing at a car track watching my son Dayton go round and round in circles. There's some great pleasure in watching others in the pursuit of perfection, and to see them go through the trial, uh, the trial and error that leads them down that path. So, yeah, I, I think the the um, enjoyment is a is a sort of weekly thing. Of course, travel becomes a little bit tiresome and all the usual things. But I'm never going to complain about how lucky uh, this this opportunity of life um, has given me. Formula for success is brought to you in association with F1 Manager 2023. Drive every decision available now. So you look you've always been a natural presenter in my mind and a showman and for anyone who's at the uh, pleasure or displeasure depending on what their choice of music is. Uh, then they'll know that you're not shy. Even though the drummer traditionally sits at back of stage, you, you always take a front of stage position. No, that's not position. true.
1: That's not true, David. You know that's not Don't be playing this up. It's not true. Um, but if, if, the, if, if the technician decides to put the drums more forward, uh, I'm not shy. I'm, I, I don't mind uh, being at the front when I should be at the back. <laughs>
0: Do you give him a little something? You've talked before about leaving something on the table. Do you put something on the table before the performance so he puts you more at the front?
1: I'm going to tell you a little Irish secret then, because you brought up something very important. I don't understand. You go to a restaurant, David. Even you leave a tip. What? What's a tip? You leave something for him. A tip is a uh, you leave you leave part of the bill, ten percent bill. You know what? I'm different in Ireland.
0: What is this concept? I've never
1: heard of that. This concept is you pay them before your dinner. When you sit down, the guy comes over and asks you a thing and you just put an extra 20 in his hand and you say, there's more where that came from. Now, you please make sure you look after us. And I promise you, it works a treat. Now, I shouldn't have said this because now everybody who's listening to the podcast will understand the modus operandi. Why pay a tip when they've already done the work, pay the tip before they start so
0: as they can give you extra at the time of the serving of the meals. I hear you, but knowing my luck, I'd end up giving it to someone that's got nothing to do with the service on my table. Well, I think you should
1: take a little trial run and see how it works. I know how you like trial runs. Everything in your life is about trying things new, isn't it? Try this for a change.
0: Absolutely. I'm a village boy, so the world is just this vast opportunity. Oh, dear. Well, look, EJ, um, we should maybe move this on uh, to something I don't want to evoke negative or or, or sensitive emotions, but the Jordan factory, where it all happened for you at Silverstone, um, it was knocked down recently because uh, Aston Martin have built a new state-of-the-art facility and sadly, what was once upon a time a state-of-the-art facility is no longer worthy to even store old bits and pieces. So it has been demolished. So uh, does that make you feel a little bit nostalgic? You've said before you're not really a sentimental person.
1: A number of people have have, uh, brought it up to me and a lot of people, I don't know if you know Gigi, the girl who was my head of... uh, press. And she, she wrote a little note to me to say how disappointing it was. And then we saw Mark Gallagher did a tweet. And Ian Phillips and other people said, look, this is
0: a, a sad day. Should I just read that tweet, actually, from Mark Gallagher um, on his uh, at underscore Mark Gallagher uh, Twitter handle? And the message is, recall giving Toyota executives a tour of the Jordan factory when they announced the decision to enter Formula One? When we returned to the reception, I was asked by those representatives from Toyota, is that it? You guys have won Grand Prix from here. And then Mark uh, signs off by saying, it turned out that size doesn't matter. What I would say about this team,
1: it was remarkable because we were in a tiny little lock up in Silverstone, trying to run a Formula One team. And this factory eventually got built. And it was that was a Bosco Quinn, who was extremely close to me, he oversaw the whole of the building and the day it was handed over to us, he was killed in a road accident on his way home, which was extraordinarily sad. Um, So we had this amazing plaque put up on the door for all of those years, from 1990 uh, till the other day. And... um, well done to Lawrence Stroll. Well done to Aston Martin because they took the plaque off. They asked me about it and they didn't want to put it up in a new factory. Um, so they've created a tree and a chair under the tree, a nice uh, three-man seat. And they have two new plaques uh, on the seat and on the tree. So well done to them for doing that. But, you know, the memories I have of that team was when I tried to move my Formula One team, I could only barely, barely fill half of it. So that's how the Chris Rea program came when he came to do his rehearsals um, for God's Great Banana Skin, that album that he did. Um, All those rehearsals were done at Shorten. And then we used to have things like Gina Washington and the Ram Jam Band used to come and play on a regular basis there. So... I utilised it as much as possible and so I hated growing into it but because it took away certain revenues but you know the team we needed an autoclave, we needed a shaker but one thing I will say about Jordan at the time let not the size fool you, we had the highest technical uh, ability and we never had um, drawing boards, we only ever had HP, Hewlett Packard supplied us uh, with the CAD systems and um, so we, we, we sort of brought a new era of technology into to Formula 1 even though we were terribly, terribly small but it it was the easiest and the cheapest way to do it and all our engineers uh, all the cars were designed on that CAD system and um, they're still using that kind of CAD system today.
0: Well as you know EJ Formula 1 is on its annual summer break but there's no such thing for us at FFS We're still going to be here broadcasting next week. No light
1: relief for us. We are committed to the job in hand. And this podcast, you keep telling me, is the fastest growing podcast in the world. I don't believe a word of it, but at the end of the day, we've got to still be here while everyone else is away on holidays,
0: DC. It's just not fair. It is definitely the fastest growing podcast in the world. Probably the universe, actually. And that's why F1 Manager 2023 has decided to become our partners. Now, how clever are they? This is maybe not the time to tell you that one of the things they would like to change is the uh, podcast. Yeah, essentially Ah, you.
1: I was hoping because, you know, I'm wondering how my outro is. You know, in every good song, it's important to know the intro, but the outro is probably more important. So if you could find a nice little outro for me, DC, be Don't Be Shy, Spit It
0: Out. Okay, would you like it to be a revolver or a shotgun?
1: Well, on the basis that you own the company, they're hardly likely to shoot you. So I think I'm probably easy and more especially in the firing line. So you can, as long as it's quick and easy.
0: I've got it. And it's only fitting given that you always remind me of Captain Jack Jordan. I'm going to have you walk the plank. No, actually, just chop my head off. Do the guillotine. It's a much easier and neater way. Uh, no, no, I'm not a bit queasy with blood. No, no, we're going to come. We're going to do one of these podcasts from your boat. Oh, and yes. then you're going to walk the plank. With greatest pleasure. You'll come with me though. Well, EJ, thank you for your time as always. And also thank you to our listeners. And you can continue to get in touch with the show at ffs at whisper.tv and of course, through our social media at F1 for success. EJ. DC. All the very best for the summer break. Have a lovely time, guys. We're back next week.